Greg Nicholson, the lead pastor here at HCC, and I just want to welcome all of you on this gorgeous day. We just had a really amazing vacation Bible school program this week, so that's why you still see our little stage setting behind me. That's not the setting for my message this morning, but it was the setting for the 55 kids that were running around here this week. And we will see many retail stores go out of business. Even big discount stores will go out of business for some reason. But Kmart, most of you likely don't even know what Kmart was. But Kmart was the store in Charlottetown. But everybody shopped at Kmart, I thought. But then Kmart went out of business. And stores like that closed because of a lack of profit. And some say it's because they're too big. Some say it's because it's too hard to find things, like too impersonal. But then we look at a store like Walmart. The local Walmart is big. It's huge. It's thriving. So we wonder, why does the Walmart do such good business when Kmart didn't? Like there are a few reasons. One of them is the low cost of their product. But there's another primary reason. And that is the personal attention that you're giving them. The people seem to matter. They have a greeter at the door, and then other personnel that probably don't make very much money are willing to take you and show you to the aisle where that product is that you're looking for. They are noted for good service and treating people right. And one time, Paul Harvey in his news program said that an elderly couple bought a truckload of mulch at the local Walmart, and they borrowed a neighbor's truck in order to bring it home. But then they realized that there wasn't enough mulch to finish the job, so they wanted to go back. But then, in the meantime, their neighbor had sold his truck. Now, has anybody ever done that to you? Like, it's happened to me. I borrowed a truck from people, and then they sell it before the next time that I go to borrow it. How rude of them. But that's what happened to this older couple, so they called Walmart. And they actually spoke to the manager and said, we need another load of mulch. Could you deliver? Well, we don't do deliveries. Just let me see what I can do. And a couple of hours later, the manager was there with a load of mulch for the truck. And they tried to pay him, and he wouldn't accept it. He said, no, but we don't even own trucks at Walmart. I had to borrow my neighbor's truck in order to deliver this to you. So that's the type of service people are given. And when people matter, a business will grow regardless of the size. So we want to ask the question, will Halifax Christian Church be a Kmart or will we be more like a Walmart? Will people count or will we just count people? If we want God to bless his church, then people must count. So in Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus giving a vision for his church. And he intends the church to be a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. A place where every individual is valued and loved. So we're going through the book of Luke this year in our teaching. And we're presently in a series called In Jesus Church. So in chapter 13 today, we're going to see five characteristics that the Lord wants in His church. And when those qualities are present, then it guarantees individual significance. So first of all, the church is to be a growing place. So in Luke 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, What is God's kingdom like? Like, what can I compare it with? It is like what happens when someone plants a mustard seed in a garden. The seed grows.
rose as big as a tree, and the birds rest and actually nest in its branches. So here's a mustard seed. The mustard seed is so small you can barely see it on the end of your finger. But then that's placed in the ground, and that becomes such a big plant that birds can actually build nests in it. So Jesus was saying that the growth was massive in comparison to the small beginning. And then in, back in verse 20 of Luke 13, then Jesus said, What can I compare God's kingdom with? It is like what happens when a woman mixes yeast into three batches of flour. Finally, all the dough rises. So when the yeast is kneaded into that dough, it just kind of works hidden under the surface until finally the dough starts to rise. And Jesus said the church is like that. It started with a little baby born in Bethlehem, and then 30 years later, he gathered a group around him, a small core of people, when he began his ministry. And at the end of his three-year ministry, he had 120 dedicated followers. Then, just a short time later, the Holy Spirit came upon that group of people with power. And they went out into Jerusalem, and they preached the salvation that is found through Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people believed and were baptized, and the church started that day. But then it rapidly expanded to more than 5,000 people, and then it started to spread throughout all the known world at that time. In order to be a growing place, the church is to be a family where every member is loved, where every member is involved. And even though since 2007 our membership has doubled from 75 to 150, there are still so many more people to be reached in this city. So we have to avoid the spectator mentality where people say, well, I don't have to give money, or, or I don't have to serve, I don't have to do anything. If somebody else will give, somebody else will do that. So that's why we've been asking you to make three simple commitments. The first one is to commit to being in worship at least one hour a week, to worship with other believers as we celebrate and worship our God. And then the second thing is to spend at least one hour a week in a home group or in a Bible study with other believers. So we build community, that we come to understand God's Word, and we grow. And then the third thing was to spend at least one hour a week in service, in some way, whether inside the church, maybe outside of the church as well. Halifax Christian Church will not be a church where people say, somebody else will do it. We're going to do it ourselves. Now there's another company that has great customer service, and that's Home Depot. And their motto is cultivate relationships. Now, if you've ever gone to Home Depot, you're walking up and down the aisles, you can't find the screwdrivers. So you stop one of the workers and ask him where the screwdrivers are, and he doesn't tell you. He actually escorts you to the aisle where the screwdrivers are. The first few times, I was thinking, okay, just tell me where they are. And then I realized, they're going to take me every time, so I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to talk to them and develop a relationship as we go find those tools. Maybe I could do evangelism that way. Just go in there, spend the whole day asking for obscure things, and then they take me to them, and I talk a little about Jesus, and then later on, where are those big uh, hammers that I want on the job? 
But we have to work hard to cultivate relationships so that people feel welcome. So that's why we encourage children to come to this vacation Bible school at Kids Camp this week. That's why we encourage kids to be involved in our Halifax Kids program that's going on downstairs right now. That's why we want them to be in youth activities. We want, we want you to be in home groups or in our prayer group or attending our social activities because that's where people can be ministered to. Now the church isn't just a growing place, it's also a saving place. In verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? But who's going to be saved and who isn't going to be saved? That's a question that gets asked over and over again. Paulo Coelho is one of the most widely read authors in the world today. And he claims some of his fans to be Julia Roberts and he's got Madonna on the list, John Clinton. And he proposes an amalgamation of all the world's religions. And this is what he says. He says, I believe that each and every religion, when chosen with sincerity, leads to the same God. And that idea of some good being in all religions and combining them is becoming increasingly popular in our society today, our age of tolerance. And George Bernard actually did a study, and he said 44% of the respondents felt that we all go to the same place. We all have the same outcome after we die, regardless of their religious beliefs. And I say, whoa, wait a minute. So we need to look and see what Jesus has to say about all of that in Luke chapter 13. So first of all, before we do that, I want you to picture something. You're below deck on the Titanic, and you feel this huge thud. It's the impact of an iceberg. So you go up on the deck, and four guys are there, and they're talking. The first guy says, we've hit an iceberg, and there's a gaping hole in the hull of the boat. We're taking in water, and we're going to go down in a couple of hours to get to the lifeboats, because we don't have enough for the number of people that are on this ship. The second guy says, no, that's a negative message. You're spreading gloom and doom here. This ship is too large. It won't sink. The third guy says, I think there will be other ships that will come along and save us. It's dangerous to put lifeboats into this water. Let's just wait for those other ships to come. There are other ways to be saved. And then the fourth guy, he says, let's get a crew together and go down and patch that hole. Like, let's save this ship ourselves. Like, which of those four guys are you going to listen to? Because your salvation and the salvation of your family depends upon it. Because the first batch of lifeboats that went out weren't even half full. And I didn't tell you that the first person was the captain. He knows the design of the ship. He has examined the damage. He has seen what has taken place in the hull. And when he says, go get in the lifeboats, it would be wise if you listen to his advice. Even though it's frightening to do that. Even though it's frightening to jump into that frigid water and every, all the debris that's around you. The one to listen to about salvation is Jesus Christ. And we have to keep in mind the fact that He is the one that created the world. He's the one that went into the grave and came back again. He's the one who is Lord of all. Everyone else you listen to is a mere mortal. So in verse 24, Jesus said to them, Do all you can 
to go in by the narrow door. A lot of people will try to get in, but will not be able to. So Jesus says there's only one way to be saved, not dozens of ways. And it doesn't come simply by living a good life. It doesn't come by believing in a supreme being. Because if that was true, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross for us in the first place. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and trusting in God's grace and in Jesus' death on the cross for us is what saves us. Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But without me, no one can get to the Father. Now that sounds narrow, doesn't it? It sounds negative. But that's what Jesus said. And he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now many will try to enter into heaven, but Jesus actually says that few will be saved. But it's not just the Jezebels of the Old Testament or the Judases who turned Jesus in. It's not the Hitlers. It's not the Charles Mansons who will be lost. But according to Jesus, there are going to be many people that won't make it to heaven. And look at what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is in Matthew 7, 13. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate, but the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. And Jesus also said that once the opportunity to be saved is over, there's no second chance. Back in Luke 13, verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and locks the door, you will be left standing outside. You will knock on the door and say, Sir, open the door for us. But the owner will answer, I don't know a thing about you. So just as when the rain started to fall and God closed up the doors on the ark that Noah and his family were in, and no one else was allowed inside that earth. This is the same thing that will happen when you die or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. There's no second opportunity. There's no such thing as reincarnation. There's no such thing as purgatory. The door of opportunity is wide open right now. And one day it will be closed. So now is the time to make the decision to enter through that door. The one who just has a surface acquaintance with Jesus will be lost. Picking up in verse 26. Then you will start saying, Well, we dined with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I really don't know who you are. Get away from me, you evil people. So if you think that your relationship with Jesus is just going to be because you're in church on Sunday morning, that's not what it's all about. Just because you take communion, that's not what it's all about. Just because you live in a country that claims to have Christian roots, to be a Christian country, that isn't going to do it either. Because Jesus says that not everyone who claims to be a Christian will be saved. The first year that we had Vacation Bible School here, or 1989, and it was my first year in the church, and a family came from Fall River, their children attended, so I went to make a visit on them afterwards. And the mother of, or grandmother, sorry, of the children was present there as well. She was visiting from New Brunswick. 
And we got into a discussion about Christianity. And she said, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that Jesus was really his son, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. But then she said, I grew up in the United Church, and I call myself a Christian. And I was a little young at the time, and wasn't quite ready to confront her. But luckily, her son, who kind of believed the same thing, but stood up to her, and he said, well, Mom, like, how can you call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Because that's what being a Christian is all about, a relationship with him. I said, whoa. So we had a great conversation after that. But then they moved, and I lost contact with them. But there are people like that, that doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus, yet I'm a Christian. And she is going to get a big surprise if nobody else has come along and started to work on those seeds that I planted 24 years ago. Look at verse 28. Then when you have been thrown outside, you will weep and grit your teeth because you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in God's kingdom. So an eternity spent in hell is going to be agonizing. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't want to hear about hell, or I don't want someone talking about hell. And a lot of people don't believe in hell. But for any law to make a difference, there has to be a penalty for breaking it. If there are no consequences, then the law is simply an ineffective suggestion. Here's what author Max Lucado said. To say that there is no hell is to say that God condones the rebellious heart. To say that there is no hell is to say that God doesn't care that people are beaten and massacred and women raped and families destroyed. To say that there is no hell says that God has no justice and no sense of right and wrong. And eventually, to say that God has no love. True love hates what is evil. Hell is the ultimate expression of a just creator. Like, doesn't that go against what most people in the world think? Like, they think, how could a loving God send someone to eternal hell? When he is offering us the opportunity to choose to go to heaven. And there has to be a consequence if we don't make that choice. So when Jesus asked who would be saved, he talked about hell. He said that there would be utter darkness. He said that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if the church really cares about people, we'll tell the truth about salvation. Just as the captain of the Titanic was telling the truth that that big ship was going down in two hours. So I want you to know that this church will tell the truth about salvation. It will tell the truth and hopefully it will be the same place. In 29, Jesus said, People will come from all directions and sit down to feast in God's kingdom. So the church is to be a place where everybody is welcome. But there will be racial differences in heaven. So why shouldn't the kingdom of heaven on earth reflect the kingdom of heaven here and now? The church should also be a place that welcomes people that the world normally overlooks. It might be little children. It might be the elderly. It could be the disabled. It could be those who are financially in need. 
This church should also be a place that is giving the attention to those who are being overlooked. Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So it doesn't matter whether you drive a Dodge Colt or a BMW. It doesn't matter if you are short or tall. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or in need. It doesn't matter if you're handsome or if you're handy. You are welcome here. Now the church should be a place where people persevere. Moving on to 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, well, You had better get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. So notice how Jesus is getting opposition from two different groups. The Pharisees who want to silence him, and then the king who wants to kill him. And they wanted him dead. But Jesus refused to yield to that political pressure of his day. And in 32, Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox. I'm going to force out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And three days later, I'll be through. But I am going on my way today and tomorrow and the next day. After all, Jerusalem is the place where prophets are killed. That God had a predetermined plan that Jesus was going to die in Jerusalem and that no harm was going to come to him until then, until that mission was accomplished. Persevered until that point. If a church ministers in the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to receive opposition. Jesus actually even said that if the people of this world hate you, keep in mind that they hated me first. You do not belong to this world. I have chosen you out of this world. That's why the world hates you. See, the world's saying, Jesus, we don't want you in our territory. We don't want you influencing our lives and the lives of the people around us. It, our opposition today comes in so many ways. It comes from our government. It comes from some of the religious leaders. It comes from hedonistic entertainers. It can come from our employers and our fellow employees. And the list just goes on and on. And we should develop a deeper appreciation for Jesus because he was constantly scrutinized, constantly second-guessed. He was falsely accused. He was hated. And yet, he never buckled under any of that pressure. How did he stand it? Like, when this stuff happens to us, we just don't have the stamina. When that opposition comes our way, we collapse so easily. But Jesus says you've got to expect opposition. So don't get uptight about it. Persevere through it. Back in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, God will bless you when others hate you and won't have anything to do with you. God will bless you when people insult you and say cruel things about you because you were a follower of the Son of Man. Long ago, your own people did these same things to the prophets. So when this happens to you, be happy and jump for joy. You will have great reward in heaven. So as the church grows and the world worsens, the attacks will be intensified. And rather than being discouraged when we are attacked, we should be encouraged. Because that means that God is working in us. That means that we're doing something. So don't grow weary. Don't give up. The place has to be, excuse me, the church has to be a place where we persevere. And then finally, the church is a passionate place. Finishing up verses 34 and 35. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your people have killed the prophets and have stoned the messengers that were sent to you. I have often wanted to gather your people as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now your temple will be deserted. You won't see me again until the time when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus wanted them to listen to him. He wanted them to avert that disaster that lied ahead. He wanted to protect them like a mother hen that just kind of brings her little chicks under her wing. But they would have nothing to do with him. They had a reputation for killing every prophet that would come to them and talk to them about God. And they were going to kill Jesus as well. So Jesus warned them that they would be left desolate. And in 70 AD, the Roman armies rolled into Jerusalem and flattened the city and flattened their temple. And those people would never see Jesus again unless they had said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The scriptures say that when the second coming of Jesus takes place, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Lord, we're glad to see you. But for many, it's going to be too late because they didn't make that decision in this life. They didn't know Jesus here in this present life. So what is it that makes you passionate? What gets you excited? What stirs your emotions? Is it winning a car? Is it winning a lottery? Is it a sporting event that your team wins? I showed some passion, maybe a little too much on Friday night. A group of 10 men from the church went over to Dooley's across the street. And my partner and I were mostly undefeated until we scratched one time. But I maybe looked like this a few times when I sank the eight ball to win the game. But there's passion when we do things like that. Maybe for you it's romance. Maybe it's shopping. But if all this stuff is true, the church should be what you are showing your passion toward. The Apostle Paul said the love of Christ compels us to share the message. And that's why the Bible says, never give up. Eagerly follow the Holy Spirit and serve the Lord. So when you see lost people saved, when you see little children learning the Bible so they can cope with the pressures of the world, when you see love-starved people finding acceptance and community, when you see the sick being ministered to, when you see the lonely being cared for, when you see unstable marriages actually being reinforced, or when you see doubters finding faith, or when you see the aimless all of a sudden finding purpose in their lives, or when you see the dying find hope for eternal life, and when you see those in need finding assistance, don't ever lose the wonder. Every time you see that happening in your life, in this church, in the Christians that you know that are part of other churches, don't lose that wonder. Fred Craddock told about his first ministry, and he said he discovered that church had an unusual tradition on Easter Sunday. A church would go out to a lake that afternoon, and they went there in order to baptize the people who had given their lives to Christ. And he said two little tents were set up so that people could change their clothes and then get dried off afterwards. And then they said that there was a fire that they would warm themselves around. And then people would kind of gather around the people who had been baptized. They would form a circle around them. 
And then they would say, like, hi, my name is Norris. Like, I would like to do any washing or ironing that you need done. I'd be glad to help you. So all the believers introduce themselves to these new believers. And then another one says, hi, I'm Carol. If you ever need anyone to drive you to the doctor or to the grocery store, like, give me a call. Like, I I'm Susie. And if you ever need anyone to babysit, I'd be glad to help you. Hi, my name's Jeff, and I can do mechanical work for you. And my name's George, and I'm a plumber, and I'd be willing to do anything for you like that. And they just go on and on as all the existing believers would just go around the circle and tell those new believers what they can do for them. And they'd sing some more, they'd eat, and then they had some kind of square dance, he said. And after dark, one of the elders would say, okay, it's getting dark now, it's time to go home. And he'd go over and he'd kind of kick the fire out with his size 13 boots. And then he said, preacher, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, people don't get much closer than this. And they've got a name for that. And it's in every community and almost in every town and city. And it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And it's where people count. It's where we found salvation, where we found hope and purpose for our lives. And we found all of that through Jesus Christ. And we know that God loves us more than anything. We know we have something special. But we also know that it's not something that we're going to keep to ourselves. And we want others to know about it as well. And if you don't know about that, if you don't know that love, if you don't know that acceptance, then come talk to me after the service and we can share with you how Jesus can give you that meaning in your life. Let's stand together and sing.